Praise the Lord. Let me see if I'm on. Let's try that. There we are. Well, God, you are good. I think I turned this off. No, I didn't. There we go. Okie doke. Well, let's get into this study. The theme or the text scripture is Matthew 20:16. I'll read it again just to establish it. But tonight I want to talk about Saul's conversion. He converted from Saul to Paul. Aren't you glad? So many times in the Bible, men have been confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ or by the Spirit of Yahweh or God, Jehovah, and they have been changed, transformed, and God changed their name. We saw that happen. I shared about the, the three Hebrew children and Daniel, how the king, once they went through their training, he changed their names. And so instead of Daniel, he became, I think, Belteshazzar. What a long name that is. Daniel's a lot shorter. Hey, Danny, Belta, <laughs> Belteshazzi or something. Anyway, they changed their names a lot because of what has happened. It identified their character and who they are. Think about your name now. Kevin and I share a similar name. He spells his K-E-V-O-N, and I spell mine K-V-I-N, K-E-V-I-N. And... That name means to be kind or gentle. That's the first meaning. Then it meant to be handsome. I don't want to overplay that too much, but I'll accept it. So, Kevin, we're handsome gentlemen with lots of kindness. And I'll take that any day as my identity. I do like to be kind. I like to help people. You just can't help everybody, though, it seems. You wouldn't have enough time in the day or enough money in your bank account to help everybody with every need that they have. But you do want to be helpful and kind to all. But we want to talk about his conversion. Saul became Paul when he was transformed and, and uh, actually confronted by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. You know, Damascus is in Syria, which is north of Israel. You have, I think, 20, is it 25 Arab countries and 55 different Islamic groups all around Israel. And, and Israel is such a little bitty country. I mean, it's no bigger than like the state of Delaware or something. It's small. It's not a big place. But they are at the very center of the earth, kind of. The center of all spirituality. All these different groups gather in Israel. And they, they don't all get along. And they're always arguing over these different sites that people want to go see. You know, like the Garden Tomb or... You have the place of the skull where, you know, that was the description of where Jesus' crucifixion took place. And, you know, 
when I was a kid, I thought, well, they only crucified like Jesus, and then they talked about the two thieves. But there was hundreds of people crucified. It was, it was like a, a road of crucifixion all through there because that's how they took care of people. You know, in China, I think it is, or maybe, I don't think Japan does this, but I think if somebody was a thief in China, they would cut their hands off. They wouldn't steal anymore. You don't have a lot of crime in certain countries because of the brutality of the way they deal with their criminals. And I'm not saying we should adopt that. Our country over the course of history has pretty much been a benevolent country other than all the corruption beneath the surface. But in general, most people are pretty benevolent. They're pretty kind. And so... Saul was not a very kind person. But when he became Paul, he became an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16, it says, So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. You know, a lot of cessationists believe that Paul was actually the last apostle. But we know that it wasn't just the twelve, and then Judas hung himself, betrayed Christ. Then they drew lots, or names, however you want to say it, and uh, Matthias, Matthias became the twelfth apostle. You don't ever hear any more about him in history, unless you go to some of the other books that are not in the Bible. Now, a lot of people believe that's why Paul actually became like the last or twelfth apostle. But he, he even said, Paul the apostle, and he referred to others as apostles. Silvanus, for one. Uh, Timothy was considered an apostle. And others. So I think in our book that we teach our government out of, written by Harold Eberly, who was a very astute scholar, and it's an easy-to-read book called The Complete Wineskin. If you haven't ever taken our government class, it's very interesting. I challenge you to take it because you'll learn a lot about church government. Pastor Ken does an exemplary job if he's the one teaching it or others. It's easy to grasp it because of the way Harold Eberly wrote it. Harold Eberly was a very powerful, in, you know, writer and and a good speaker we actually had him as our featured speaker at uh, the church foundation network conference one year down in pensacola it had to be about 2002 or something like that 2001 anyway harold everly uh, called the ministers up and he came to me called me out of the group and prophesied a word to me and it was about leadership and expansion and how God was going to use me as a leader and so it's quite an honor to have somebody of that stature give you a prophetic word but many are called but few are chosen you have to if I can say it pay a price to be chosen you can be one of the called you can be one of the crowd but you need to dig in and seek with all your heart if you want to be one of the chosen and by chosen, it's not just chosen to be in the kingdom. It's chosen to be uh, a leader 
to be developed as a believer to a higher calling. And so I think all of you can be that if you so choose. As God calls many, but he only chooses a few. But he says, let's go on and look at, uh, like I said last week, the word called, kletos, in the original language. It means invited, called, or appointed. Somebody that's invited or appointed, called. Uh, they're saying, this is what you should be. And then the word chosen, eklipo, in the original, and it means selected or elected, chosen, like a favorite. God favors you when you're chosen. You've been elected by God to something greater than where you were walking before. And so, we go on and we see, and look at Acts chapter 9, if you would with me. We're probably going to be there most of the study here. Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 20 through 22 to begin with, then we'll go backwards. But it says there, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now this is Saul who had been persecuting people for believing in Jesus. And now he's preaching him as the Christ. And so... Uh, he was preaching in the synagogues that he's the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. You can imagine having somebody persecute him one day and a day or two later, a few days later, all of a sudden he's preaching for him. It must have really been a confusing time for them. Hey, we can't trust this guy. Is he just trying to bait us to get us out in the open so he can destroy us? So it was tough, but he knew the word so well that he used the word to confound them because he was actually pro proving that Jesus was the Christ. So it's pretty interesting in that regard. So the first thing is the word immediately. See, because it said immediately he preached the Christ. Isn't that something? As soon as the scales come off his eyes and he was filled with the Holy Ghost, after hands were laid on him and he got touched, he immediately began to preach Christ. He didn't go back to seminary. He didn't go back to Bible college. He didn't go to Pastor Ken's classes. He was already knowledgeable, though, so we don't discount that. He already understood the scriptures. But he didn't go take any further classes. He just went out and preached Christ. So that's amazing what the power of the Holy Ghost will do to you, through you, and for you. But the word immediately is the word eutheros, and it means directly, at once, as same as, immediately. It, it really pushes that envelope. And then we see the word confounded, because remember it said later in this passage that they were amazed that he might come 
they were confounded in verse 22. As Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews. He confounded the religious people. He amazed them. So that word confounded, and it's sugchio, and it means to pour, commingle, to perplex, to throw uh, in a, an assembly uh, into discord, disorder. I mean, he just he just confused them because of what he knew. <clears throat> he was actually proven that Jesus was the Christ. So his preaching was amazing. So let's go through some steps here real quickly. Let's look <coughs> in verses 3 through 7. We see there, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Now here's this great light comes down. I'm sure they saw that. But they didn't see Jesus. <clears throat> Paul saw Jesus. And he heard the voice. He didn't see him because he went blind. But he saw the light. It blinded him. And then the voice spoke to him. They heard a voice, but they evidently didn't understand what it said. But Jesus talked to him and had a nice conversation with him. <coughs> Excuse me. So the first step is we must be confound or confronted by Christ. And what happens is conviction. When you're confronted by the Spirit of Christ, you get convicted of your sin. And I tell you what, I've seen a lot of grown men cry when they're convicted of their sins. It's just overwhelming sometimes for people. But that's the first thing that happens. And then what we see, he said, what am I supposed to do? He asked that question. Number two is personal humility. And he asked that question, what must I do? What, what do I do? Now let's look at the next verses, 8 and 9. And it says, then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Well, if you lost your sight suddenly and you heard this voice, and somebody named Jesus, who you were persecuting before, confronts you, and you know he's real, <coughs> and that he had surely must have risen, like they said. Then he tells you, go into the city. And so he just, he couldn't eat or drink. Man, if I was under that much stress, I probably wouldn't eat and drink either. He didn't do it because he was just fasting. 
he was petrified by what had happened to him. And so he's humbled. He's personally humbled. And then what happens for three days, we learn to wait. That's number three step. We learn how to wait. Have any of y'all had to wait? You've gone through things, and you'd have had to wait. Man, I hate that waiting room. Always hated going to the doctor because your appointment's for three fifteen, and you probably don't get in until four thirty. Then I feel sorry for the ones behind me because the doctor talks to me about football. <laughs> I won't say his name, but he knows who he is if he's watching right now. Uh, you know, just, it's amazing. They, they don't rush. Doctor, you know who you're talking, I'm talking about. We'd talk about Zach playing football back in the day and others and, and how he was on the team and Papa Bluff that was undefeated in 1966. And I mean, we would just, Talk, talk, talk. Finally, we'd get around to, well, what's going on? How's your blood pressure? Let's see it here. He'd look at my chart and all that good stuff. But, you know, you, you're humbled, but then you learn how to wait. And once you get in there, you're kind of like, hurry up. Let's get this over with. But you have to wait, especially with big things happening. And the fourth thing is this. While you wait, God is preparing someone to help you understand and receive the Holy Spirit that's trying to deal with you, you know? So that's the next step, step number four. Did I read that? I might have the scriptures before or after, but step four, while you wait, God is preparing someone to help you. Let's see, I'm at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now you got to remember, Ananias is spiritual, but also he's flesh. Saul killed some people. He had some people killed for being a Christian. So Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to find to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. <coughs> now, Peter was the first one to preach to the Gentiles. You know, he got a bunch of them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, but then Paul was the one, he wasn't a fisherman, he was a teacher of the law. So he was able to lay the law down, so to speak. He was able to lay the doctrines out. He was able to teach the Gentiles what they needed to know. Peter was like the evangelist that came in and said, wham! And they got touched. 
And so here Ananias answered, Oh, he's harmed everybody, but the Lord told him, Don't be afraid. Go, he's a chosen vessel of mine. So he's going to bear my name and so on. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, what a great day that was. He not only got his eyes open, but he got filled with the Holy Ghost. See, that's a double whammy. He got his physical eyes opened, and at the same time, God opened his spiritual eyes. I've taught Jeremiah 33, 3, 1 through 3, many times about how Jeremiah called out to the Lord and said, Show me. And that word show meant to stand with mercy before the mercy seat of Christ where the angels were in heaven. That Ark of the Covenant <coughs> on earth was a representation of what was in heaven. But I don't think that Ark of the Covenant, that mercy seat in heaven had to be with carved angels. He had real angels standing there next to his feet. And his mercy seat is at the right hand of the Father. So when you ask the Lord to show you something, that's when the writer of Hebrews said, come boldly before the throne of God to obtain grace and mercy in your time of need. So when you boldly come before the Lord and you call on His name, He will show you. He will allow you to stand in His mercy and His grace and he will show you things that you didn't ever know before about yourself, about the scriptures, about the spiritual realm. It's an awesome thing to come into that understanding. And that's where Paul was, or Saul. He became Paul a little bit later. But see, while you're waiting, God prepares somebody to help bring you to the next level. The next step. I believe God called me to come to Poplar Bluff to train leaders and raise up prophetic people to step into higher realms. I believe we got a prophetic prayer team here in this church. We got a nucleus that's very powerful in this church because they have understanding of the spiritual realm. And there's powerful people coming to this church. You know, for being the number that we have right now, it's amazing how much power operates in this place or in the people. <coughs> anyway, number five, we see it says, through patiently waiting as God speaks, you receive your sight and anointing for your ministry. That's the showing part. When you come before the Lord and His mercy seat, you say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. I need you to show me. And it's funny, after people get saved, the number one question that I have heard over all the years, what would you like to know? I want to know the will of God for my life. That's the biggest question. What's the will of God for me? 
what are they really saying? Are they really saying what's God's will? I, it's easy to know God's will. His will is for you to become more like Jesus Christ, love one another, and be full of the Holy Spirit. And out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so it's easy to understand the will of God for you, but what they're actually saying is, what's my identity? What am I called to do? In other words, it's not just what is God's will. It's what does He want you to be? What does He want you to be called into? And He chooses you. Some people are chosen to be pulpit ministers. Others are chosen to be servants and evangelists. <coughs> Some people lead more people to the Lord outside the church than the church ever has come up to its altars except for when there is a revival that hits a place. I'm talking about when there is a sovereign move of God like you've never seen. Randy used to attend a church in Springfield called James River Assembly of God Church. Well, James River didn't even exist when I went to college over there. And then it became a little bitty old church and now it runs in the thousands. And I, I never even went there because the building wasn't there. The church wasn't there. See? Somebody was called and chosen to establish that church out there. And now it's one of the biggest Assembly of God churches, you know, that there is. And you saw the movie. I, I don't know. Maybe you didn't. But you need to see that movie about the Jesus people. You know, Chuck Smith and, and the different characters in that movie. The big revival that happened out in California, the Jesus People movement back in the 60s and 70s. And it led, Chuck Smith had a church of 35,000 people. And he started out with this, he left his regular church and went out to a country church out on the edge of town. And there was a group called Love Song that wrote a song about it. Little country church on the edge of town. Doodle, 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 doo. Long-haired, short-haired, whatever. People going to, driving to Sunday school. And anyway, there's a whole song about this little country church on the edge of town. And that little church grew into a church of over 35,000. Then Greg Laurie, who was one of his youth pastor disciples became a pastor of about 25, 30,000 people. And he fills stadiums every time he holds a, a harvest revival meeting every year. He can fill a baseball stadium. What an amazing move of God. When I worked in Assemblies of God in my early years, and I worked for Marvin Gorman, that church ran 7,000. We had five services on Sunday. It seated 1,500, and then we had overflows. And I worked the altars in that ministry, and we'd have 100 people saved about every service. One year, we had over 16,000 people come to the altar in that church and became converted. <coughs> he actually, because they drive from all around that region, his church actually filled up churches all around the region with people. He, he was 
an apostle really in his gifting, but he was an evangelist at heart, and he loved people. He would cry, and people would run the altar. I mean to tell you. I wish I could cry like Brother Gorman cries because I think we'd have a whole lot more people saved in this church. I need to work on my crying a little bit. Zach, we need to have a crying session together, you know. Maybe a bunch more people come in here and get saved. Be like Brother Gorman's ministry. But we patiently wait for God to show us, open our eyes. And that's verses 17. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, so that you can receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18 and 19. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Isn't that wild? He just spent a few days. He didn't spend months or years with the disciples, but he spent a few days. And then we see in verse number 23, we're going to skip down there, because we know what happened. He immediately began to preach, and people began to believe, but they also were confounded, because this was the man that persecuted them, and now he's preaching to them, Christ. So something had to give. So, verse 23 through 30. Let's go there. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Well, it kind of sounds like President Trump. They say he's had many attempts on his life but they've always been able to stop those. Then the disciples took him by the night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was really a disciple. You know, So this guy had it rough. Even the disciples didn't want anything to do with him. <laughs> but Ber Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Boy! It's one thing to disagree and have an argument. These people didn't want to just argue with you. They wanted to kill you. So he was really facing it. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And he spent years out there. I think some scholars say nine years. Others say maybe 14. But it was several years he was in the desert. He learned how to make tents. That's what they called them. Some people say it wasn't just tents. They were prayer shawls. They would put over their head and so on. 
Somebody gave Zach a prayer shawl the other day as a gift. But, uh, you know, he, he made those. He made a living doing that. He wasn't taking up offerings in a church. People didn't trust him for a long time. And so we see that we have to be patient because the devil's going to try to stop you from doing what you're called to do. He wants to kill you. Really, he wants to kill your anointing. He wants to destroy you from being able to fulfill God's mission in your life. Romans eight fourteen through 18, I'm giving you a summary now. What's our summary say? Well, let's go, well, well there's two chat verses. But anyway, let's go ahead and read Romans 8, 14 through 18. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Did you all get that? I preached a whole series out of that one time. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. See, we all had bondage at one point, but we need to be free. We need to be delivered from the bondage. And what he's saying, you know, the devil doesn't like you. He's going to try to stop you, but God is not going to let you have the spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear is the opposite of hope. The devil wants to steal your hope by causing you to fear because if he can do that, he can take you back into bondage. And that's why people fall away and they fall back into their problems and their habits that were destructive. See? When fear starts coming at you, what, is, what did Paul tell Timothy? 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He's given you love, power, and a sound mind. He has not given you fear, but the devil wants to take you back into the bondage again to fear. Fear will tie you up. It will mess you up. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's why my first prayer every morning is, Our Father, my Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you don't know what his name means, I've got a, I've got a sheet in my office that I have all the eight compound names of Jehovah down on that sheet. And it tells what they all stand for. And I also have the Jabez prayer on a sheet of paper. Those are the two prayers I pray. The Lord's Prayer and I pray the Jabez Prayer every day. That's my foundation. And then I pray extemporaneously. You know, whatever comes to my heart and mind. But I start out at the Lord's Prayer. He is my Father. Hallelujah. Abba, Father. Man, he's my daddy. He's your daddy. When somebody says, who's your daddy? You say, Abba. 
of a father. Hallelujah. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And otherwise, the Spirit gets you to look in the mirror and he's going to start showing you how you look like God. How you resemble God. How can you resemble God? Well, by his attributes. God is love, is what John wrote. That's the first thing. What are the fruits of the Spirit? And the first one that they list is love. A lot of times I thought, well, it's not just one of the fruits. It is the encompassing of fruit. It's like love is the skin over the grape. And the inside is joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness. All the fruits of the Spirit, which there is no law. You don't even need the law because you're not going to break the law because you have the love of God with all the fruits that makes you want to be good to people. You won't steal. You won't kill. You won't covet. You won't be jealous or envious. <coughs> You'll be full of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Yes and amen. He says... And if children, then heirs, you've got an inheritance. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God wants to reveal his glory in us. And... I'm not going to push prosperity, but, you know, I don't think God ever called anybody to be poor. You might have started there. <laughs> I was in a family so poor we could hardly rub two nickels together sometimes. But you know what it made me do, Randy? I went out and I helped my uncle paint houses. I went out, I mowed grass at 11 years old, pushed my mower all over town. I got a newspaper route, and I carried newspapers. I vacuumed my grandma's rug until I was down playing pool at the pool place. And, pool <laughs> and the newspaper boy for her came by and said, You got that money you owe me from the pool, playing pool? My grandma said, Kevin Dwayne, what have you been doing? I said, Well, I just played a game of pool. The loser had to pay. She said, I can't believe you would take this vacuuming money that I give you and you would go gamble it away. Boy, you know what I thought about that big. Wasn't no big deal to me until she slammed me with that. She laid the law on me. My goodness gracious alive. <laughs> but you know what? I think my father owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. His word says all the silver is his, all the gold is his, and all the cattle's his. So you know what? If you, How many of you all have a financial need? Just raise your hand right where you're at. I could use a little extra. Anybody else? Well, I tell you what. Father, we ask you to sell some cows tonight and dig out a little silver and a little gold and help us out with our financial needs in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
because we want you to be glorified and we want you to be the one that supplies our need according to your glory your riches that are in your glorious heaven hallelujah glory amen so then in first corinthians 1 17 and 18 this is our last scripture and i've enjoyed this for christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, the good news. Not with wisdom of words. You don't have to be silver-tongued to go out and witness to somebody. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. You can't just convince somebody in their uh, intellect. It has to be from your heart. You have to say, man, I was a sinner, but now I'm saved. Hallelujah. And this is what God did for me. And your testimony will make the difference. For the message or the preaching of the cross to those is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There it is. God has a plan for your life. He really does. And He wants to choose you. All you need is to have an experience in Christ that confounds your life and transforms your name even. You know, to where you have a new nickname, where God gives you something new, a new identity. Randy wants to call Kevin Rex. I don't know why. He said he looks like Rex to him. I think he wants to call him like David, the psalmist, and the one who worships God. I think that's awesome. Anyway, that was just a sidebar fun. Stand with me. <clears throat> God, we come before your throne, we humble ourselves, and we thank you because your spirit is wonderful. Your power is great. And we ask you, Lord, to use us, choose us, so that you can use us. Like the old song Jack Campbell sang years ago, about being used by God. Jesus, use me. Please, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. That's an awesome message that we'll work for him. And so go and do the work. Be used of God. Share your testimony. Then take you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a theological giant. Just be you and share what God has done for you. And it'll make a big difference in somebody's life. Amen? Well, God be with you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Fellowship on your way out. <laughs>